0: Today we are talking about the 1987 slapstick buddy comedy, Real Men. It's the movie about an everyday guy recruited by the CIA to help with a secret mission. The movie was made by United Artists, and it got almost no theatrical release because, well, United Artists, they gambled and they lost
1: big. I just remember this being like a staple on like cable TV. It was like every third movie on Cinemax. Sometimes it'd be like, I just watched this like you know a couple hours ago. How is this still on? You know, well, it was during
0: that Jim time Belushi. when Jim Belushi was was the new Tom Hanks. You know, he was in freaking everything.
1: Oh yeah, like in the late '80s, early '90s, he was. He like yeah, he couldn't yeah. miss him.
0: But uh, United Artists decided they would place a big bet on an epic Western by the director of The Deer Hunter. And this guy is just a a psycho with a camera, basically. <laughs> Aren't they, they all? Gave, they gave him a budget. They gave him a budget, and he treated that like a really bad suggestion that he was not going to follow at all. And produced a movie, Heaven's Gate. Uh, By some estimations, they would have needed to make $140 million at the box office just to break even. Now, that's $1980. In 2023 dollars, they would have had to make just under a half a billion dollars in box office ticket sales just to break even on that movie. So United Artists was struggling to remain um, a viable company, and so they made this movie and a few others, but yeah, a, they a didn't concert. have enough movie to enough money to get it in theaters at that point. So because of that, it had an extremely limited release. I don't know what the budget was for this one. I would say it's somewhere under ten million, maybe more than three, less than ten.
1: I'd say yeah, about like three, three be safe.
0: And it made four hundred and eleven thousand dollars at the box office.
1: It 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 makes for like a good like a good pilot for a TV show, but like as a one off, it's like yeah, that's nice. It's like it's like yeah, like a quick Sunday matinee
0: thing. It's nice. Right. Dialogue's really clever in it. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um and some of the some of it is, is really subtle and and I like that a lot, but you know, it's just uh uh eh. It's one of those movies. Yeah.
1: It, it seems like uh, a really, to, uh, to me, this is my personal opinion. It seems like a really waspy version of Repo Man. Yes. Like just total, the nuts are cut off and shit. And it's like, it's kind of like the same plot, but not the same message. You know what I'm saying?
0: This is a feel good action comedy.
1: Yeah, it's a buddy thing. I like it. I mean, yeah. it was one of my favorite movies. I love fucking John Redder, like growing up. Yes. I yeah. Good. I wanted to be J. That tripper, you know, from Three's Company. I thought, yeah, I thought he had it made. But um Yeah, yeah I was so, a weird anything.
0: kid. I wanted to be Mr. Roper.
1: He's <laughs> a <laughs> good dresser. He had the Nazi outfit. <laughs> this is great shit, man. Uh the guy that like uh wrote and directed it, uh Dennis Feldman. Right. I'm saying that right. He wrote a couple of things, but like this is only when he directed, but like check it, like Back in the 80s, he goes, just one of the guys, all right, which ever anybody ever seen that movie, uh, Chick? Uh, right. Yeah. Dresses up like a dude to be on the football team. Great, right. You know, comedy. Uh, the Golden Child. Which right. Growing up, that's like, one of my favorite movies. And then he writes and directs this. Goes away for, like, a couple years. Comes back and just, like, gives us the Species trilogy. Yes. And then disappears again. It's like, fuck it, I'm out. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah this was this was that. Dennis Feldman's only acting credit or only directing credit yeah, yeah. And, and you know i can see why after after making something like this saying yeah maybe not you know, <laughs> people said the same thing about you know golden child wasn't exactly a, a an award winning production it wasn't
1: but it is a really fun watch man i used to I wore the hell of that VHS.
0: man right But uh, yeah, it's rated PG-13, runs an hour and 26 minutes, It has no critic score, but a 60% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Critics universally gave mediocre to poor reviews, claiming that the plot was unbelievable. It's John Ritter and Jim Belushi. Yes, another thing, it's like, if, if you go into the movie thinking
1: this is real life and shit, it's like, no, this is totally not real life. Exactly. It's, it's supposed to be surrealist in like a fucking cartoon, you know, it's like.
0: And thanks to streaming, uh, this is now considered one of the most underrated comedies. Hell yeah, about time. <laughs> we talked about Dennis Feldman, the director, director of photography. This has surprised me. John Alonzo. Yeah. John Alonzo was director of photography for Harold and Maude, The Naked Ape. Chinatown, that Jack Nicholson movie that was so bizarre. I, I love that movie. Uh, Zorro, the Gay Blade, Steel Magnolias, Cool World, and Star Trek Generations.
1: Yeah, th- that's what's really weird. It's like such a low, and I, I don't want to say low budget, but like lower budget. Like, you know, because it like was a broke
0: studio. I think it was a low budget movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it looks really
1: great. It, like, there's some camera work in there, especially at one part where uh, they first meet up. You know, I don't yeah. get into it. Like it, John Ritter, the way they work the camera, you really feel like confused and like uh,
0: uneasy, you know, and shit. Right. You know? Yeah. It looks great. Like all the film work looks great. Right. And that's why special effects by Stan Parks. Stan Parks did special effects on planes, trains, and automobiles, Triple X. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Home Alone Two, Lost in New York, Jumanji, and The Hateful Eight. Fucking a man! I mean, why are these people on this movie? Eh. <laughs> when you're in the union
1: and shit, and they need you, you go there. You know.
0: Yeah. When you're a working, when you're a working, uh, working in the film industry, you work in the film industry. Yeah. You know, and people ask, you know, why does. Why do these these big names take uh, roles and that don't seem awesome? And a lot of the time, it's because they're working actors. They just work.
1: That's the difference between like an actor and a star. Like a star, you just like kind of put them in. It's like whatever, how popular they're going to wane, you know. But like a working actor, they're going to just keep exactly. on following them in, do the thing.
0: Yep. Movie stars: Jim Belushi as Nick Pirandello. Jim Belushi, most famous for being Jim Belushi. Yeah. He's not even famous for being John Belushi's brother anymore. Now, at this point in his career, he was still getting out from under John Belushi's shadow.
1: Yeah. And he, they, they it wasn't like what two decades before actually people started, it wasn't until like he started doing like really long, like TV work.
0: Right. Uh, but he is a prolific character and voice actor. He's appeared in Jumping Jack Flash, K-9, Twin Peaks. He was the voice of Jake in the Blues Brothers animated series. Well, I didn't and, know that cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't last very long. Yeah. He was also the voice of Phil Palmfeather in the Mighty Ducks animated series. He starred in the successful sitcom According to Jim. And he currently stars in the Discovery series, Discovery Channel series, Growing Belushi, about his pot farm.
1: Yeah. uh, I've seen uh, like a little fucking ad for that, like on YouTube.
0: Yeah. And if you want (laughs) to, if you think that is uh, a reality show about Jim Belushi's pot farm, think again.
1: (laughs) Uh
0: (laughs) It is absurd bullshit.
1: He was in this one show that came out like a long time ago called twin palm okay and it was about it was like cyberpunk shit you know it had like william gibson on it and stuff it was really cool i dug the hell out of Uh. that i watched it was like jfk with cyberpunk bullshit wow yeah like Oliver stone and stuff uh that's crazy so like i always liked it like he's always like a thick-headed every guy you know But every once in a while, dip his toe in like some weird ass shit like that. Like he was on Twin Peaks. Of course, him being on Twin Peaks, he was playing a stick at itself, but he was still in it, you know. Yes, I always like that about him. You know, he always go outside his comfort
0: zone. He's like, hey, you know, I'll I'll turn that. That's cool. I mean, Jim Belushi is usually playing himself. Yeah, he's playing himself totally. And we also have John Ritter as Bob Wilson, best known as Jack Tripper in Three's Company, and Paul Hennessy in Eight Simple Rules. He was the voice of Clifford the Big Red Dog and made appearances in The Waltons, Mash. He was in Sling Blade and Bad Santa, and he died in 2003 from a ruptured aorta during rehearsals for Eight Simple Rules. He was a comedic genius. I,
1: I thought it was like great. I 70 shit he was awesome
0: he was real physical like Dick Van Dyke physical
1: yeah he was great at it and then like he got put in like the stupid ass Problem Child movies right and like everybody kind of just typecast him as like some smuts in a fucking family movie right and he didn't get out of that for like a long time but like man he was so great Uh, you know fucking came from like you know entertainer family like his dad was like country singer actor guy and yeah, his dad was Tex great. Ritter. His kid's a fucking actor. Yep. His kid was great.
0: So the movie opens with a man in a suit wearing a beige raincoat, carrying a glass of water and a map, walking through the woods at night. <laughs> glass is kind of nice. It's got a gold rim. It's got the presidential seal on the side of it there. And of course it's foggy because it's in the woods at night. That's that's a rule. If you're in the woods at night, it's gonna be foggy.
1: It's also like to show that, like, you're actually out in the woods and not like a fucking uh, studio with like a bunch of trees and shit. Like, it's <laughs> something.
0: You're in that grassy area right outside the studio behind the parking lot.
1: <laughs> no, we're not. Yep. You know, <laughs> totally not uh,
0: suddenly there's a gun gunshot and the man falls dead. And immediately, a bunch of guys in matching beige overcoats come out of the woods. They're all wearing matching beige overcoats because they're all CIA agents. Yeah,
1: see, like, that shit right there should, like, tip you off. This is not, like, real life. How yeah. cartoon is like, a fucking uh, woods with a, a bunch of white dudes in beige overcoats, just, like, with guns, like, walking around.
0: The only thing, I mean, the only thing that could have made it more, um, more cheesy is if, Three of them were talking into the cuff of their overcoat. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, it was totally like a Mad <laughs> Magazine type scenario. I mean, what the hell?
0: Right. Apparently, some time has passed since the first agent was shot, and this is now the response team on site. An older CIA agent, this is Agent uh, Millard Kennard, he's talking with a younger agent and explaining that this had to have been an inside job because this was a dry run. For an actual exchange that was supposed to take place next Friday. Also, whoever killed the agent, whose codename was Pillbox, took the map that he had. And since this map was absolutely vital to their mission, there are no other copies of it. This was the only one. It's also the only thing that shows the location they need to be in to make the exchange. This was 1987. They had Xerox machines. (laughs) <laughs> Somebody could have made a copy of that map.
1: Shit, you could probably just trace it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Kennard wants to send in Pirandello to recover the map, but the younger agent is very opposed to that because Pirandello is an uncontrollable maverick. He's a loose cannon. He's a loose cannon. He's unpre- completely unpredictable. He's unorthodox. He won't follow the rules.
1: You see the way he has his haircut? You see the way he wears his trouser? <laughs> I won't stand for it.
0: Probably wears blue G. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <All of them>. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Agent Canard uh, insists. So we cut to a crowded produce and fish market as the opening credits roll. Nick Pirandello is working for a fishmonger, and he spots a guy in a members-only jacket walking through the market. I'm going to call him. I don't know his name. It's not in the credits anywhere. I'm just going to refer to him from now on as Members Only.
1: Yeah, uh, I remember him in one. Of, he was one of the kiss ass guys in a police academy
0: movie. That seems pretty reasonable. Yeah,
1: yes, and yeah, here he is in a Members Only jacket. So he, he's kiss ass and an only jacket.
0: <laughs> well, Members Only approaches an old lady who is carrying a shopping list. She holds the shopping list up for him to read, and then she drops it on a charcoal brazier where it catches fire, and she walks on. Then Members Only leaves the market, and he's walking past some trucks when a hand reaches out and pulls him into a trailer. It's Nick. Hey. And he invites Members Only to sit down and talk. Uh, This guy recognizes Nick and appears to be a bit starstruck. Nick is, like, the best agent in the world. He's pretty
1: much American James Bond mixed with American, like, like, James Dean. He's just, like, so cool and confident. And like, you know, smooth. And a little bit of
0: Maxwell Smart mixed in there too.
1: Yeah, he's funny. He's a funny guy. He's got a good sense of humor on him. Yeah. I agree <laughs> that. And he ain't talking into a shoe or nothing, but he's he's damn near close to it.
0: It's close, yeah. Well, it turns out that the members only is a CIA agent, and Nick wants to know where he's gonna pick up the map. The agent won't tell Nick, so Nick shoves something in the guy's mouth and makes him swallow it. Just calm as can be. Yeah. That's the thing about this um is a lot of these scenes, they they just suck all the tension right out of the scene. Yeah. They take what sh- what's supposed to be and what would normally be a very tense situation, and Jim Belushi treats it like, you know, putting cream cheese on a bagel. It's just a thing you do. Well, to me, I, mean,
1: I think it's probably because I was, like, young seeing this. Like, I grew up when it came out and shit, but... It seems like, yeah, it's a, it's a spy movie where every time something serious is supposed to happen, they pause it, uh, James Volusia gets replaced with Bugs Bunny, and then John Redder <laughs> is Porky Pig. And that's the entire movie right there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really accurate. Yeah. Well, Nick explains that he just swallowed the new 607 painful death kit, and this agent, this CIA agent breaks immediately. Like, no effort at all.
1: Starts sweating.
0: And tells him everything he wants to know. They were supposed to pick up the uh, map at the Hideaway Hotel in room 505. And Nick says, thanks. And he starts to leave. But members only wants the uh, antidote to the painful death poison. That's when Nick tells him it wasn't poison at all. You just swallowed a button. And he walks away. Nick heads to his car. But before he gets to the car, he suspects a trap. So he stops and picks up a small piece of gravel, tosses it at the car, which causes a massive explosion. I love that. So then he very slowly jogs to the hideaway hotel. <laughs> Once he's in the hotel, he heads toward the room, stops to pick up a fork from room service tray and uses it to unlock the door to room 505. And I notice I did not say he picks the lock because he totally doesn't. He just no, bends he, all the tines down on the fork except for one, sticks it in the lock and turns it like a key and the door opens.
1: It's just fucking Oh, it's fucking stupid. It's so me <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's like some fucking three stooges shit, you know?
0: This is like, definitely a three stooges type movie. They would do
1: stuff that was just lit. that doesn't make no sense, you know? That's not that's not <laughs> the way the world works. That's a cartoon.
0: Yep. Once he's in the room, several cars pull up outside, and Nick immediately recognizes them as Russians. Then he spots an alarm clock, which he quickly disassembles to find the map inside. Uh, another Bugs Bunny moment coming up here. Uh, oh, Nick yeah. is leaving, but armed Russians are approaching through the stairs toward the door. When the Russians open the door, Nick is nowhere in sight, so they head on through And the camera pulls back to find that Nick has climbed the wall and is hiding up near the ceiling.
1: (laughs) ninja style, Nick.
0: (laughs) I mean, there was a guy who broke out of jail here in Tennessee a couple months ago that way, but he might have been in a little better shape than Jim Belushi.
1: Yeah, I think I read that on uh, (laughs) on, uh, Google News or whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, Nick waits for the guys to pass, and then he hops down and heads down the stairs. More agents are coming up, and this is going to turn into a gunfight at some point, right? You got people on the stairs looking for him. They're going to start shooting pretty soon. And absolutely, we have a gunfight with some of the lowest of the lo-fi gunshot sound effects that can be found.
1: Oh, no, this is straight up uh, mid to late 80s A-team gunfight.
0: (laughs) with squids. the jazzy, happy-sounding Miles Goodman score. Oh, man, the music is so great in this movie. And that's that's what I mean there. The music takes all of the tension right out of this gunfight. So a gunfight is, is playing, and this catchy little jazzy stuff is playing in the background, making this like, you know, it's the kind of music that would be playing When somebody is walking down a sidewalk. Yeah. They're using it for a gunfight.
1: Danny Kaye or some shit is like, I don't know. Fucking. Yeah. It's like juxtaposition. Yeah. The way that they did that is just so right on the money. Yeah. And like the whole movie's that way. It's like with the weird, with the dialogue and shit and the situation.
0: Yeah. But that's what, that's what caught me um, the most about this is how. They used the music very effectively to make this gunfight funny instead of a gunfight. Yeah. It just sucked all the tension out of it, and it made it a comic scene. Also, Miles Goodman, this guy had just finished scoring Footloose, About Last Night, Little Shop of Horrors, and La Bamba, and this is what he did next. He was on the money, man. I get. I guess he had some spare. He had a spare weekend because they use this one piece of music through the whole movie.
1: Yeah, no. If you, if you, it's like there's two songs. There's one where it's like serious and slow and kind of sad, and then there's yeah the comedy beat. Yeah, and that's it. And they just interchange those two.
0: Miles Goodman would go on to score "Dirty Rotten Scoundrels," a movie I absolutely loved. That's a great movie. Problem child. What about Bob and Dunstan checks in before dying from a heart attack at age 47?
1: Damn. Dustin. Dunstan checks in.
0: Man. Yeah. I hadn't heard oh, that in forever. Well, there's back a reason. In the for... <laughs> sorry. Sorry.
1: I had, I had so many flashbacks of that movie. I'm just like, oh, God. What's a bourbon now or something?
0: Yeah. <laughs> And what about Bob? That was just a... Yeah.
1: You Jeez. know what? I, I this what's weird is that coming up. I uh, I think they should just remake this movie with some uh, modern day actors who are they got out there and just call it What About Bob?
0: <clears throat> you know, I was thinking of- watching this that Jim Belushi's delivery in this movie was 100% Bill Murray.
1: Really? Yeah, nah, kind of yeah, but like the way he's addressing uh, John Rutter. Yeah, no, yeah, but then John Ritter's name's Bob, right? And there's even a one line in there where he says, "What about Bob? Like, what are we gonna do about Bob?" You know, and shit. I just, yeah. I think that'd be, <laughs> and I love it because also Bill Murray did a movie where uh, the man who knew too little, was about right. this guy who goes and visits his brother, who's like a uh, what was this guy's an ambassador, and, right? Uh, they, they send him out to, like, a public theater thing to get rid of him, and he ends up, you know, getting in like, espionage bullshit, which is this movie, pretty much. I don't know. Oh, jeez. Too much to think about. My bad.
0: <laughs> well, back in the gunfight, Nick avoids getting shot by ducking his head a little bit as he unlaces his shoes. That's all it takes. Just duck your head a little. Uh, Nick is apparently a graduate of the MacGyver School of Spy Stuff. Because he uses his shoelaces to Tarzan swing through a nearby window.
1: What was the 80s? Yeah. So, like, that's all guys really did was just like eat chili out of a can, watch MacGyver <laughs> and the Three Stooges. And then that was it. That's all we allowed And football.
0: That's, you just described my entire childhood there.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> they had the team and like, you know, the Fall yeah. Guys. So, but that was about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A Russian agent kicks the door open to find a couple in bed apparently having sex. The agent chuckles and leers, which gives Nick just enough time to pop up out from under the covers and shoot him. Yeah, Nick is good. fully dressed, but because United Argus needed to sell at least some tickets, the woman in the bed is completely topless.
1: Well, they got a PG-13, so it's like, uh, you get a couple of swears and a boob. Yeah, that's exactly what
0: we get out of this movie, too. <laughs>
1: They know what they're doing. I mean, they they took this down the fucking spreadsheet. They they. I mean, it's a great movie. But you know, it's like (laughs) the game was already done.
0: And then Nick makes his getaway. Back at the CIA headquarters, Nick has the map. An agent grabs it and throws it out the window, where it gently flutters down to a man waiting on the street. Who takes the map, jumps into a car, and drives away.
1: Oh man. And it's like the littlest, <laughs> most nerdy fucking CIA agent ever. It's like the hall monitor CIA agent with his little glasses, and he goes up there and he just grabs. It. He's like, "Oh, I got the map,"
0: and he just runs to the window, throws it out. Oh, it looked like good. the guy that played Miles on Murphy Brown. It looks like Millhouse from Simpson. A little bit, yeah. And this this scene is is so ridiculous because he he throws it out the window, and then he just looks at uh canard and nick and says i'm with them and then yeah, three guys oh just god. rush in and very calmly take him away see that's like something like just so simpsons like if they
1: were doing like a spy show like on a fucking halloween episode it would be like oh my god i can't believe they just fucking did that
0: i mean they turned the energy all the way down like it's a stephen wright bit and the music yeah it's like dude. Yeah it was the, great. the the scene was meant to be Robin Williams level nut, but everybody yeah. took all the Valium and nobody can bother can be bothered to get excited about anything.
1: Yeah, it was, oh man, I loved it. I loved it.
0: but it turns out that wasn't the map after all. It was a message letting them know that Nick knows who their leader is. <laughs> Kennard says, Well, who's their leader? He's, I don't know. I just wrote a note oh. saying I did.
1: Yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> Sometimes. I love that shit.
0: There is a rift in the CIA, it seems. A faction wants the big gun, and Nick calmly is finishing all of Agent Kennard's sentences, which surprises absolutely nobody. Nope. Uh, meanwhile, the CIA has found a lookalike for Pillbox. He is a paper pusher at an insurance company. His name is Bob Wilson, and Nick needs to get him to Washington by Friday morning and be sensitive to his feelings. Nick asks what kind of guy Bob is, and Kennard says he's, I don't know, average? Maybe a little less? <laughs> and then we see Bob driving home from work. The milkman gives him a big cheesy wink as he drives by. When's the last time there was a milkman? Even in the 80s, their milkmen were not not that late into the 80s, I don't think. No, they
1: they totally, but the thing is so ingrained into like American television culture that that's true because the reruns and shit they could yeah because there's like horror movies that like being made today horror movies that still use the milkman thing and it's not even okay. like they're got like a period piece or some shit it's just like oh no there's a milkman. <laughs> like that movie freaked you know we did yeah like yeah with the milkman bit where like they're like nine right. guys. The milkman right. oh man like there was no milkman then man Going <laughs> grain into our thing that we got to have a milkman.
0: Well, the people who remember the milkman are disappearing. I guess the milkman trope will disappear with them. No, with no, we be <laughs> no we're still reruns and shit. Uh, Bob is a neat and orderly guy. And as he gets home, he uh, has ceramic ducks in his yard and takes a moment to straighten up the line of ducklings before going inside. I love that. You know, though, you know, man, the you know, mi- fun. I know. As soon as he put that duckling back in its back in its spot, I know those ducks are gonna die.
1: Foreshadowing, like a motherfucker. It's like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, in the house, Bob's wife and children are waiting for him, and something is clearly wrong because they're all standing lined up in the living room staring at him.
1: Yeah, he's already
0: guilty. It seems some kids yelled insulting things at Bob's daughter, and they stole his son's bike. Bobby wants his dad to go kick their butts, but Bob is determined to talk it out. They're civilized people, after all. So Bob heads down to the garage where this group of hoodlums is hanging out. It's not like a garage where they work on cars. It's like the garage two houses down and across the street.
1: Yeah, it's like a bunch of scumbag teenagers just hanging out, just like hanging out at box. somebody's
0: house. Yeah, maybe yeah. The, one of them, one of their parents' house. It might be somebody they don't even know, but they're hanging out yeah. in the garage. Uh, they have a bike that looks suspiciously like Bobby's. It has very recently been painted pink. When Bob asks about it, they said, "No, nah, that can't be his son's. That belongs to Oaf. Oaf is a big fat guy." <laughs> Well, they offer to sell him the bike for $250. Actually, the the leader of this group says that if Bob will give him $250, he will convince Oaf to just give him the bike. Now, Bob tries to take the bike and Oaf elbows him in the face. Then Bob gets pushed backwards into a giant box of packing peanuts because that's the kind of thing you have in your garage when you're a teenage delinquent.
1: Yeah, I know, man. They must be up to some really, really shady shit because that was a (laughs) lot of packing peanuts, man.
0: I know. Back at home, Bob is asleep on his couch when a sound wakes him up. Bob gets up to investigate. He moves through the house to the garage and there is a light on in the garage. He can see it under the door. So Bob arms himself with a rake and storms into the garage in typical uh, John Ritter-style yelling and waving the rake around.
1: This is great. This is what I was talking about, like, the cinematography, that, that hole where he, like, slowly lifts up off the couch. Yeah. Slowly makes his way through the kitchen. You're like, what's going on, you know? And right. then, yeah, bam. You know, he gets in there. Hiya, 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 swinging his shit. <laughs> stabbing it. Doing the twist. Going under the cars. Like, just really going at it. And then just, like, yeah, nothing. It was all for naught.
0: Right. He thinks he sees something, so he starts to walk away. Then he turns around real fast and shoves the rake up into a cupboard, breaking all the stuff that's in his cupboard, in his cupboard, breaking all of his stuff, and getting the rake stuck up there.
1: It's great. Yeah, he does like a little sneak out. He turns the light off, and he's like, gotcha, and he turns it back on and starts, yeah, oh, man. That's how, see, I thought he he swung it up there and got it stuck. I was always, I forgot how I got it stuck up in the thing.
0: Yeah. Well, that's when Nick steps out, and Nick's got a gun pointed at Bob. Uh, Nick introduces himself as Bob stands staring at Nick, looking very confused. Still got his hands on the rake over his head. Uh, turns out Nick read a collection of letters Bob wrote to his wife, and he wants to know what that thing was that she did in Santa Barbara that he keeps begging her to do again. That. Uh, <laughs> Nick is concerned that Bob's upset, so he lets Bob hold the gun, and then when Nick turns his back on him, Bob aims and fires repeatedly, but the gun isn't loaded, of course. Like nine (laughs) times. That's when Nick retrieves his loaded gun and points it at Bob. Then he points out an armed man hiding in a tree outside. Nick is assembling something with parts that he's finding around Bob's garage. While he's explaining to Bob that they're gonna deal with the armed men outside, then get to Washington, DC by Friday morning. But Bob says he's got a lot of work, his boss won't let him take the time off, so he's gonna have to pass. Well, while all this is going on, Nick has MacGyvered together a submachine gun from some pipe, some socket, a coat hanger, and some vacuum cleaner part.
1: Yeah. See, that's another like People who get on, like, uh, people are like, oh, you know, oh, that couldn't happen. No shit, dude. Because it made a perfectly looking zip gun that shoots nails like 90 miles an hour. Yeah. Out of vacuum
0: cleaner parts. You can't make that out of plastic. You got to use metal for that.
1: (laughs) I can barely make it hinge, right? I get it. I think it's genius. It's a movie. I don't know. It's great.
0: (laughs) Well, we get another shootout. Nick tells Bob that he moved uh, Bob's wife and kids over to the neighbor's house, so they're fine. Don't worry about them. Meanwhile, Bob and Nick are standing in the open in the driveway uh, as people shoot at them with submachine guns and rocket launchers and miss all the time. Hell yeah, just like the a team. They blow the house all to hell, but they miss Bob and Nick. Bob tries to run away when a rogue CIA agent stops him in um, uh, by karate chopping him in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick takes out the remaining agents and he checks on Bob. He tries to convince Bob that Bob is a hero, that by running off, he created a distraction, which uh, saved Nick's life. And he'll never forget it. But Bob can't talk. And he says, Let me take a look at it. He says, you hitting the Adam's apple? if that got knocked loose, it could fold over and choke you to death. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says he you know, he's not a doctor, but I I believe your Adam's apple got knocked loose. So you gotta put your fingers on it and hold it in place for a couple of days and try not to talk or breathe any more than necessary. Oh no first he like don't it like like good two times really hard <laughs> like fucking older brother.
1: He goes, what? Oh, yeah, man. I think it's really loose, dude. And then, he, yeah, he puts his <laughs> hand up to it. It's like, all right, now just hold your hand like this. All right. And don't die. Do not move. All right. Just don't breathe. All right. Follow me. Let's go. It's he's the like, fucking dick. He actually goes like all the way until like the next scene until they have to go through that fence. And he's like, yeah, I'm am, am fucking doing this. This is stupid.
0: Exactly. Uh, then Bob and Nick set off, and Nick is super encouraging. Bob's just doing whatever he's told because, you know, Bob's a rule follower. And Nick recovers the map from the neighbor's refrigerator. That's when Nick uh, says, "Bob, this this milk this milk carton's only a third full." And yeah, so what? And that's when Nick explains that when Nick broke into Bob's house. He had some of the freshest cottage cheese he'd ever had in his life and all of his milk cartons were full. That Uh means the milkman's been making too many stops at his house with his wife there all alone every day trying to drive that wedge and break Bob loose from from his family. Well, Bob tries to take a swing at Nick and Nick blocks it, then pins Bob down on the table. And explains, you know, I've been through the same thing, too. He said, your wife cheated on you? So, no, I'm not married. I've been through it on the other side. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and But that manages to subdue Bob. So they head out and they climb through a hole in the fence. And instead of holding the fence for Nick for him to get through, Bob runs off, leaving Nick. And as Bob sneaks through the dark neighborhood, a man in a suit confronts Bob with a switchblade. And that's when Nick pops up behind the guy and knocks him out. Bob's doing a great job. Bob turns to run, though, and when that happens, well, Nick knocks Bob out too <laughs> So Nick is super encouraging through this whole thing. I mean, whatever he does, whatever Bob does is just awesome. That's perfect. Anything to keep him from being from being upset, keep him following, keep him doing what we need him to do. docile and, you know, Alive. Yeah. Well, it's Tuesday morning and they have reached Las Vegas. Bob wakes up in the back seat of a junky old car in a junky old neighborhood. And he gets out and runs to a pay phone where he calls home. His kids answer and then yell for their mother that dad's calling from the mental hospital. Uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a work crew there completely rebuilding the house, too. That's cool repairing all of the damage to the house. They were told it was a terrorist attack and the government is taking care of it for them. That's when Nick appears and he takes the phone, introducing himself to Bob's wife as Dr. Stillwell and assures her that Bob is fine. He should not have made this phone call. In fact, he shouldn't have any contact with them for the next several days, but he's doing just fine and he'll be home soon and he hangs up the phone. Nick tells Bob that he stole a better car for him, too. He upgraded him to a Torino. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Well, Bob locks himself inside the old car, so Nick very calmly walks to the trunk, takes out a gas can, starts pouring gasoline all over the car. You really should get out of the car, Bob. It's going to get hot in there. No, I'm not getting out. Okay, that's fine. And he goes back to form just as calm as can be, like he's dealing with a, With a a, a three-year-old throwing a tantrum.
1: Yeah, no, I love that line. It's like, you know, it gets hot in those old cars like that. You really ought to get out, Bob. Like that this this whole scene's really stuck with me like my entire childhood. (laughs) Like just this guy, like (laughs) over a car. And John Renner's like, I'm not going. You know, stop.
0: It's great. He even tells he even offers Bob offers to introduce Bob to the president when they get to DC and says, Stop treating me like a child. (laughs) So Nick lights a match and that's when Bob jumps out of the car and blows the blows the match out before he can light the gasoline on fire. So he's out of the car, but he wants an explanation of what's going on. So Nick gives him an explanation. He explains that the CIA has been negotiating with aliens for the last seven years. And if they don't get to Washington DC by Friday, then the whole deal is off, man. That sounds like bullshit. Well, he's got proof. Prove it. He's got a ballpoint pen with a message printed on it that says, To Nick from his friends far away. All right,
1: that's bullshit. I, I, that's a novelty pen. I get like 150 of those printed out
0: anytime. Yeah, but can you nail it through a baseball? Yeah. Because like someone... Nick goes and gets a hammer, and he drives that pen all the way through the baseball. Not only that. When he drives it through the baseball, it
1: still writes. They used to do that on infomercials, like, all the time.
0: Okay, well, there's one thing that, the ball, that those infomercial pens can't do. What can they do? And Nick takes the pen the, that's hammered through the baseball, he tosses it up in the air, and it just floats there in the air. What? And then it starts to open up, and antennas come out, and lights start blinking. And it flies what? off into space. What the fuck? It's a homing pen. It goes right back to their own to their main galaxy. Oh man, that's far out. Yeah, it's way out there now. <laughs> it's What's all called? the way out in space. Oh damn! And it's the only one he had too. Shit, man. I'm sorry. I didn't. I, I should have believed you. I, my, <laughs> my bad. well, Bob's starting to believe when somebody shoots out the back window of the car. The Russians have returned for the map. So Bob and Nick run into an abandoned house uh, just as the Russians blow up Nick's car. The Torino, even.
1: Well, it was covered in gasoline, so I was kind of like, I mean, that was going to happen.
0: They had to do something with it. Yeah. It was Otherwise, hazard, they'd have to repaint it. Or something. <laughs> That's when a black town car arrives with the Russians' top negotiator in it. Dolowski. Ah shit. And Nick is very familiar with her for some reason. Well yeah. She's played by Isa Young, a German TV star best known for appearing in 1270 episodes of the German soap opera Verboten Liebe or Forbidden Love. Damn.
1: Yeah. Was that like a soap opera or Yeah, it was.
0: It is. Okay. okay. She's also appeared in Night Angel, Airwolf, and Cheers. Fucking like A, Airwolf and Cheers. Airwolf and Cheers. Well, Dolly offers Nick safety if he gives the Russians the map, but they want Bob dead. Nick and Bob negotiate with Dolly. And it's like Nick and Dolly are putting on a show for Bob. Because Bob, yeah, well, what do I get? You get this, and then and then Bob yells, that's ah, insulting. There's no way we'll accept that. Every <laughs> single time. Says, Calm down, Bob. Calm down. It's just it's a negotiation. They're gonna start low. And then they'll offer more. So they offer him a million dollars and a position as a colonel in the KGB. And Bob Bob isn't having any of this. But then Dolly mentions that there would be other compensation. So Nick wants to talk to her in the back room about it. They leave Bob waiting there. Bob waits for a while. Eventually, Bob ends up sitting on the floor waiting. Then Nick and Dolly come out of the back room. Dolly, well, putting her clothes back on, and both of them having a cigarette. Uh. Yeah, they left Bob in the living room while they went back there and and negotiated. (laughs) On her way out, Dolly gives Nick an inside stock tip that all the KGB agents are dumping their shares of this one stock because that company's not going to get a government contract that they thought it was going to get. Nick and Bob discuss Nick smoking. He says he only smokes after sex. Bob says, oh, so you don't smoke much at all? He says, no, just about a pack a day. Yeah. That'll kill you, dude. <laughs> no, but it'll hurt you. Nah.
1: <laughs> That's what I love about this. That is, like, just genius fucking writing right there. Yeah. The time, the, and that, too, the the people that they got to do those lines, great right. chemistry, great timing.
0: Oh, yeah, these guys work great together. They're fantastic. They play off of each other perfectly. Yeah. There's another gunfight as Nick and Bob try to leave. Russian gunmen have the house surrounded. So Nick tells Bob just to stay close and do exactly what I do.
1: Oh, my God, I love this bit.
0: (laughs) This is so so genius. It's awesome, yeah. It's stupid. It's so stupid in the best possible way. Yeah, no. They run out of the house and Nick is shooting Russians. Bob was told to do exactly what Nick does. So he fake shoots them with his finger gun while yelling bang. bang. I am going to record to refer to this for the rest of the podcast as finger banging. Yeah, this is a finger bang scene. Bang, yep. bang. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he's doing. Bob, Nick takes the shot. Bob jumps up, points his finger and yells bang. They run into a phone booth because yeah, some plexiglass and thin metal will definitely protect you from bullets. But like, there's this one bit right before they get to the phone booth,
1: which really sells it. And this is like a setup to the next thing: is like, dude goes through, he shoots a guy, and that guy falls. So you know, he's like, "All right, this is the second time I got to do this." So he goes, he goes shoots, and he gets pop, and it hits him. And it's like a big, you know, Simone guy with a gun, and he. He, like, that doesn't hurt, but he fell back. And when he falls back, there's, like, a spike on the end of a tree. Right. And it kills him. And, then, like, John Ritter looks at his hand. He's like, holy shit, dude.
0: I think the UFO men are helping us.
1: Yeah. And so, like, <laughs> then they start running. And then they get to the phone booth. It's like, all right, just chill right here. And it's like and he starts searching his pockets.
0: Yeah, Nick is looking for a quarter. He needs to make a phone call. Meanwhile, Bob is just finger banging all over the place.
1: Uh, like crazy.
0: <laughs> he's finger banging all the Russians. So Nick's going to run out and try to find a quarter in this parking lot. He has, he tells Bob to cover him. So Bob's doing his finger bangs, covering him and it works. Oh, and no, yeah. not-
1: when he tells him to do that, he gets out his other hand. That's when he got both hands. He's like, all right, now cover me. And he's like, yeah. Uh, okay. And he's like both hands out there, like giving it both things. Right. Yeah.
0: Nick is shooting Russians at the same time that Bob is finger banging. So that convinces Bob even further that he is actually shooting Russians with his, his, with his finger guns. Yeah. And somebody shoots the payphone coin box and all the quarters fall out. So Bob calls Nick back to get the quarter that he wanted. Nick puts a quarter in the payphone and dials a number, calls somebody for backup, and all the shooting just stops. Why'd all the, why 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 they stop shooting? Nick looks at his watch and he goes, "Oh, it's lunchtime." They just stop like that? They just stop. They have no work ethic, no dedication. Oh. All the Russians went to lunch. So we can leave? Yeah, we can leave. Let's go. <laughs> so Bob and Nick run for it, and as they get away, Bob wants to know what they get from the aliens. <laughs>
1: I love this part.
0: It turns out the guys in the chemical warfare department spilled some stuff in the ocean. And as a result, all life on Earth will end in five years. The aliens have this thing called the Good Package that they're willing to give to the CIA. And that will just fix everything. It'll save the world. And in exchange, they want a glass of water. That's it. Just a glass of water. That's it.
1: They don't want like a crack or anything?
0: Nothing. No. Not even any ice in it.
1: That's That's... That's fucked up.
0: Yeah. Well, they go to the one place that they know they'll always be safe. They go to mom's house. That was and... great.
1: Uh, like He's like, where's that? He's like, right here. And he's just like, as they're walking, he's telling them all this shit. like, right here? Yeah. And he's like, hey, ma. She's in the yard, like, sweeping her grass and shit.
0: <laughs> yeah. And she tells him that his dad just got back from the hospital. Nick's mom, played by Barbara Berry. Nick goes to the kitchen with his mom, leaving Bob in the living room as this older blonde woman comes down the stairs and immediately starts making out with Bob on the, starts molesting him right there on the couch. Yeah, really just, jumps on him. Just assaults him on the Tung couch. Dry
1: humping, petting, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Nick and his mom come back in and she jumps up off of him and she's trying really hard. Not to break character in this scene. Trying really hard not to laugh. Apparently they'd shot it enough times that somebody'd lost patience. And we're going to do this one more time and you better get it. Mm. And even if you don't, it's staying in. I don't care anymore. The woman making out with Bob? That's Nick's dad. Nick explains to Bob about his dad's midlife crisis. And then his trip to Sweden for gender reassignment surgery. He says his mom was real confused at first. His mom doesn't seem like she was confused at all. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you were kind of confused at first, weren't you, mom? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. I was, I I was confused. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick also wants to borrow a safe car, so they take his mom's car. Um, oh
1: man! But it, about it has movie. no seats. Yeah, no. They
0: got a. Bob's sitting on a milk crate. Nick's sitting on a stack of phone books.
1: I've been fishing with dudes that drive trucks like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like their fucking windshield wipers were like fucking spatulas and stuff.
0: <laughs> There's a <laughs> like wiper out little, there. If yeah, it rains, yeah, no, you have to roll your window down and reach out and work the man wiper manually.
1: Pretty much, yeah, no. I mean, <laughs>
0: Uh, I don't, the cars, the cars in this movie, like geez. They're like cartoon cars, man. They're definitely cartoon cars. Well, as they drive through the night, Nick explains that in addition to the good package that the aliens have, the aliens also have another thing called the big gun. And some people in the CIA, they want the big gun instead of the good package. The big gun has the ability to destroy entire planets, so they want the big gun to use against the Russians. But that's wait. Yeah, a second. they're on. They're on the same planet as us. The the same planet that would be destroyed. But you know, it would make sure the Russians don't win.
1: This doesn't make sense at all. This is no, this is none how. Oh man. Okay, I see your point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, no, I, I it dawned on me.
0: Anybody who lived through the the 70s and 80s knows exactly why that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Fucking Cold War kids, man. Yeah. Like the whole generation.
0: Well, they stopped for supplies at a convenience store where they have happy pies. Oh, hell yeah.
1: And they got this uh, three-colored lunch meat. Yeah,
0: three-colored lunch meat. Blue, green, and purple. It's been there since 1973. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's fresh. That's got to be fresh. They wouldn't have it out. Uh, On the newsstand is a copy of Inquiring Star, a junk tabloid. And the headline features three stories. The first one's probably fake. Uh, 30 questions Eddie Murphy asks every woman.
1: I think that's in there just because the previous movie he worked on was The Golden Child. I think you're right.
0: The second one, is the U.S. negotiating with UFOs for a glass of water? And then the final headline, all life on Earth, dead in five years. That's probably true. Probably, yeah. Yeah, we need,
1: uh, what's his name, Jonathan Franks to come out here in a suit.
0: (laughs) They arrive in Texas as Bob reads the Inquiring Star, and Nick says, hey, all these stories are straight out of the CIA files. Like, that joke's been
1: around so long. And, like, when Men in Black came out and shit, and, like, even now today, they like, people run with that shit. Right. But like, right. I remember I had uncles. that used to like chain smoke and like drink a bunch of Bush light and make me listen to art bell. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, I kind of like, I've heard so many damn conspiracy shit growing up. I'm like, I just don't even care no more. I'd rather watch TV and yep. just enjoy that. Yeah.
0: There was a guy on, um, and first time I ever listened to art bell, there was a guy on there, uh, that was selling a device. He called the bioelectrifier that this thing would emit electrical frequencies that would uh, retune the frequencies in your body and help you be healthier. Provided you didn't drink or smoke or use drugs and you stuck to a very strict diet and uh, a very uh, rigorous exercise regimen. Was it Jekyll Lane? I no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> he he had this thing. It was kind of like a it, it was kind of like a wristwatch with um, a little LED that blinked on it. Oh man! <laughs> and a guy called into it, and he says, uh, he says, so wouldn't you? We well, Art Bell asked him. He said, so if you did all of these things but didn't wear your device, wouldn't you still be healthier? He said, yeah, but Shut the device makes down. it even more so. And then a guy called in. He says, look, I'm an electrical engineer. I, I build circuits for a living. And I've examined this device. I bought this device. I took it apart and looked at the circuitry. And I can tell you with certainty that the only thing this does is make a little light blink. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, Art Bell, all the way. of Jacks, man. Well, Nick pulls his car into a cornfield so he can take a leak. And Bob wants to try to back out of the mission. Uh, Nick isn't hearing it, though. And he heads off into the cornfield and leaves Bob at the car. And Bob ponders for a second. Then he makes his escape into the cornfield. But then he, he, he falls down or sits down for some reason. He starts taking things out of his pocket and throwing them. And then one of them, one of the things he finds in his pocket was the map. On the map is a list of the four things that will be saved uh, if they are successful. And those things are all of the flowers, all of the trees, all of the birdies, and all of the children. Also, that's the map that Nick needs. And Nick was very irresponsible for letting Bob run off without it. So, of course, Bob has to take it back. So, he runs all the way back through the cornfield. And when he gets to where the car was, the car and Nick are both gone. Ha ha. That's happened to me in a grocery store before. I've done that to people in grocery stores before. (laughs) Well, Bob runs down through the cornfield back to the road. The car and Nick are both long gone. Bob is distraught and he falls down in the dirt, sits down in the dirt. And that's when Nick walks up and says he moved the car. I moved the car. (laughs) Moved the car. It was sitting right out there in the open. I had to move it. And something changes in Bob right here. Oh, yeah. And Bob just goes off on Nick for endangering the mission. Now they're back on the road and Nick apologizes. Bob admits that he tried to run off, and Nick says, Yeah, I know. I was watching you the whole time, but it's okay because you came back. It is Thursday and they've reached Indianapolis. They are in what looks like an industrial district. There's like a bunch of warehouses and train tracks. They're here to get the glass to put the water in for the aliens. It's a special glass with the presidential seal on it. They do that for publicity and for safekeeping. It's stored on the ground under a dumpster
1: in Indianapolis in an
0: alley by train tracks. Yes. Who thinks this shit up? (laughs) Dennis Feldman. That's who.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Not my department, Bob. I just do the thing. Yeah, I love it. Like, like timers, <laughs> like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. It's like, hey, I'm an agent, so that's above my pay grade. I just go out in the field, you know, I do legwork, you know. Bureaucrats, that's the real problem. They're the ones that got us out here getting a glass under a dumpster at 2.30 on a Thursday.
0: <laughs>
1: hey, Jesse. Yo. Who are those clowns? Oh, shit. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, my
0: God. Clown attack. Asian.
1: Clown attack. <laughs> I get down. Oh, my God. Oh, I thought I'd never see this thing.
0: Yeah. Bob says, Bob says, who are those clowns? And Nick looks up, and there are a bunch of guys in clown costumes. It turns out the CIA is putting some of their best agents in clown suits so they won't be recognized, but they've apparently gone bad.
1: Bad clowns? Like,
0: bad clowns. nick and bob are trapped in the dead end alley but nick has a plan and bob is crying the whole time they keep on cutting back
1: to the other end of the alley and you just see fat like circus clowns zigzagging in the alley behind boxes just
0: zigzagging hiding behind boxes and then looking out from behind those boxes that they're hiding behind
1: but at the rate that they done it, they should have been upon them, but they're, like, keep on doing, like, weird Scooby-Doo shit where they go behind a yeah. the box, and then they pop out behind another box, and then they go behind a fucking <laughs> uh, barrel, and then they pop out behind another barrel. It's fucking crazy this whole time. <laughs> well,
0: Nick's got a plan as the clowns move into position, and he explains to Bob that Bob is secretly... Russia's number one agent in the U.S., and he's been hypnotized like the Manchurian candidate. Well, like in the movies? Like in the movies, yeah. That makes sense. It doesn't take much to convince Bob, and he just rushes the clowns and immediately gets knocked out.
1: Knocked the fuck out.
0: (laughs) So Nick takes the clowns out uh, alone. He knocks all of them out. Then he lays down and pretends to be unconscious as Bob comes to He tells Bob that Bob actually took out all the clowns single-handed. And then he tells Bob that the Russian agent part of it was all bullshit. But he really did take out the clowns. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, that guy punched you and then you went wild. and I tried to help, but I ran up here and and I ran into the dumpster and knocked myself out. Then apparently you just took care of everything.
1: I guess all I need was like a little
0: confidence. I don't know. I guess, yeah. They start to walk away, and one of the clowns gets up and rushes Bob, and Bob just turns around and decks him, which surprises the hell out of Nick. First the finger bangs, and now he's punching clowns. Bob's not a nice guy. Punching clowns. Who punches clowns? They are bad clowns, technically. Okay. All right. That night, uh, Nick takes Bob to Big Ed's cocktail bar to get him laid. And Nick sees a woman bent over picking something up off the floor. So he walks over to introduce himself and see if he can provide assistance. He is quite smitten with her. And Bob is watching this. And then when he looks back to their chairs, he notices a couple of guys took their seats. <laughs> they start to act tough. But Bob uh, Bob stands up to him and ends up running them off.
1: Yeah, he's, uh, he's a little, he got a little tougher on him. Yeah.
0: He did. He did. Nick is flirting with the timid woman at the bar, and he is very upfront about this being a one-night stand, and she immediately agrees. <laughs> Sorry. So so Nick and Bob follow her home, and there are a couple guys parked on the street. Bob thinks they're the uh, the rogue CIA agents, but Nick says, no, nah, those are probably just burglars, and he goes inside. Yep. Nick heads up to this woman's apartment to discover that this timid woman that he met at the bar is actually a dominatrix and her place is a dungeon.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not even (laughs) sure that's really her house. It's just like a rented storage unit.
0: That's that's exactly what that is.
1: Oh, God. This is so fucking funny, dude, man.
0: (laughs) So we cut back and forth between Bob busting these guys who are robbing an antique store. And Nick with his dominatrix that he met at the bar. Um, well, yeah, this is like the final shot. And what I mean by that is like, it's is a
1: final shot in the arm to cure both what fixed or what both tells him. Like, he's a right. uh, misogynist that doesn't have any feelings and can't love anybody. And right. then Bob is like a fucking punk ass. So he gets broken by a woman and then Bob beats the shit out of like a fucking warehouse full of punk.
0: Right. Right. Well, the dominatrix is cracking a whip and orders Bob on her Nick onto his knees, but he isn't playing along. So she pushes the button on a remote control that releases a wrecking ball and he just kind of hops back out of the way, but on the backswing, it conks him in the head. I love that shit. That's fucking funny as fuck, man. <laughs>
1: because right before it comes back and hits him, he's like, ha ha. And he points at her and it's like, bam. And he's like, just falling. <laughs>
0: Nick is then strapped into a traction device and being whipped and electrocuted as she orders him to admit his pain. <laughs> Meanwhile, down on the street, Bob is taking out these burglars one at a time in a fist fight. Not really a fist
1: fight. He's just walking up to him and then punching them square in the nose and then they fall down.
0: Yeah. Well, he, he popped out of a dumpster on one of them.
1: Yeah, he is like how he's like surprising, but it's like he's just like fucking manhandling like a group full of people in a warehouse. He's just like popping them.
0: Yeah, I mean his punches are every bit as effective as his finger bangs.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt.
0: <laughs> Next morning, cops are hauling away the burglars, and Nick is falling in love. Uh, uh, Nick has turned all mushy now, and and Bob is driving the car. Nick wants to leave the mission and be with his new girlfriend, and and Bob gives him the tough talk. Uh, Bob has exchanged his suit for a western style shirt somewhere along the way.
1: I think that was in a cornfield. They uh, he had to change clothes for some reason, okay. and they got it like somewhere off a farm. But yeah, I think that something was cut off there. I want to see like a director's cut of this shit because like a couple of shit. Just seeing them two together would be fucking great. Just more of them, right?
0: Well, they've stopped at a convenience store for snacks and Bob gets Nick some happy pies and he got a 3-year uh 3-year li- shelf life and and 1 year still left on that.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, uh.
0: But when Bob goes outside Nick is gone. Uh he left a note in the passenger seat for Bob explaining that he is in love and he's gone back for his dominatrix girlfriend. Uh he wants to be happy before while he's still alive. You chicken shit. I know. So Bob Bob does what makes sense. He heads to DC alone. By God, he's going to carry out the mission himself. I
1: like how he gets a badass makeover.
0: I mean, somewhere along the line, he picked up Richie Cunningham's red and white Letterman jacket. Yeah. He has Nick's gun and some bullets and the map. And he's in a parking lot in Washington, DC, and he heads straight into the woods. Yep. He is confronted by a clown. So he pulls a gun on the clown, but it's it's not a CIA agent disguised as a clown. It's actually a clown for some kid's birthday party. They're well, in a park.
1: Be, you can never be too sure these days, Mike. <laughs> I'm going to have to see some identification and stuff. I got to make sure, you know.
0: Well, Bob continues into the woods, and because we're in the woods, it has suddenly become nighttime, and he hears a sound behind him. He turns and fires, but remembers that he hasn't loaded the gun yet. Yeah. <laughs> So he stops to load the gun. He spills the bullets all over the ground, by the way. Uh, And he hears a sound, and when he looks up, there stands Nick. He came back. He was worried about Bob. I don't make a big deal of it. (laughs) Well, they're all good, and Nick is going to help out. So Nick shows him the correct way to carry his gun in case he gets one of his arms shot off and has to use the other one. (laughs) Uh, Then Nick gives Bob a gun that's actually loaded and they head into the woods together. Oh, yeah. They don't get too far, though, before the shooting starts, and Agent Mahoney shows up to help and immediately get shot. Also, I think he... his first
1: introduction, to Agent Mahoney, now. whole oh, yeah, damn movie.
0: Whole movie. Go through the whole movie without ever seeing Agent Mahoney, but they have to introduce Agent Mahoney. He can't just show up. He just shows up and is like, I'm with you guys. That's exactly what he says. But, I mean, we can't have a plot hole in this movie, so we have to actually introduce Agent (laughs) Monk. But, yeah, as soon as he shows up, he gets shot. And Nick starts shooting branches off of trees that knock out the rogue agents.
1: Oh, that one's perfect. It just comes down and hits him in the dick.
0: (laughs) <laughs> like it, like it's on a hinge.
1: Like the tree was on a hinge, and he just hits it, and it's like, Boo! and It is just like, "Oh!" <laughs> he, he drops his AK forty-seven versus this guy's nine millimeter pistol with yep. a tree hit to the dick. I don't. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> have you ever taken a tree to the dick, Jesse? Because no, I believe if you that, had, like, you would have dropped something.
1: I, I had taken like baseball bats and shit. Yeah. No. Like, okay. I haven't had All someone right. shoot a fucking tree limb and then hit the tree limb. Well, Nick and Bob saying, continue on. That was great. It is yeah, insane. Continue continue it's
0: on. insane. <laughs> Nick and Bob continue on. They need to find some water to to go in this glass that they have. So they find a tree with a trap door on it, and they open up the door, and there's a, a very classy water dispenser inside this tree. What the fuck? What kind yeah. of water is it? Just standard bottled water. Oh, nice. So they fill up the... <laughs> stupid, Jesse. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) So they fill up the glass, and they proceed to the meeting place, and finally, Agent Kennard shows up. Ah, It turns out he has switched sides, and they want the big gun, not the good package. Well, Bob is not going to do that, and Agent Canard threatens to shoot Nick if he doesn't ask for the big gun. And Bob says, okay, go ahead. I don't care. Shoot him. Do it. And he does. He kind of wings him a little bit. He kind of shoots Nick in the shoulder just a little bit. Not not, not bad. Um, but as there as uh, this exchange is taking place, Mahoney isn't dead. And he crawls through the bush behind Agent Canard. Well, Bob doesn't have a gun, apparently. And so he finger bangs Agent Canard at the same time that Agent Mahoney shoots him with a silenced pistol.
1: Yeah. it was a powerful Nick's finger like, bang. Yeah. Nick's like, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> and that's and when my- the
1: alien arrives. Yeah. Oh, man. This, this guy plays a great alien. I've yeah. never seen anything else. He's just, he's like hauntingly spooky. He'd be great, like, on an episode of, like, uh, uh, like, Night Gallery or Tales from the Dark Side or something it's, like that.
0: He's really creepy looking. Yeah, man. It's just that, that that crazy-ass grin. Uh, the alien looks human because all life forms are alike in this universe. That makes sense. Like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Exactly. Bob trades the glass of water for the good package, and the alien drinks the water. He says he got the baseball they sent, and they've been learning how to play, and they absolutely love the game. Hell yeah. Then he gives Bob a pen, and he also returns Nick's pen, and then the alien leaves. Cut to Bob's house, and a government car pulls up. A CIA agent gets out and opens the door, and out steps Bob. Hell yeah. His family's waiting in the yard. Bob plays along with the hospital story, you know, can't can't uh, tell him what he was really doing.
1: <laughs> no one blew that stupid shit.
0: And then Bob takes his wife inside to talk about the milkman. Dun, dun, dun! But it's not what you think. She hasn't been cheating on Bob at all. The milkman's an asshole who's been harassing her, so Bob's gonna handle it. Then he takes the kids down the street to the garage to get Bobby's bike back. Uh, The thugs there, they junk Bob just like they did before. But Bob's a badass now and he beats them down. And then he shoves the leader of this gang into the packing peanuts. They start walking home with Bobby's bike, which is now pink. No problem. And Nick arrives. He's wearing a suit now and he has a date. Though, actually, he's trying to work on a serious relationship. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now his dominatrix girlfriend arrives in a helicopter and drops a ladder down to Nick, and they fly away together. What?
1: I also yeah. love, like, uh, the helicopter thing. There's, like, no wind. Like, the, the thing pretty much parks on them on the middle of the street. <laughs> well, like, maybe a 10-foot ten fo- ten rope ladder.
0: Oh, by the way, your house looks great from up
1: here. Yeah, they did a really nice
0: job. <laughs> Your life's going so great. And they fly away. Then the milkman arrives, and as he opens the gate to go up to the house, well, Bob just decks him and then tells him to try to be more
1: sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> and Message. roll credits. Roll credits. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, I knew the second that... Uh, that Bob was very carefully aligning his ceramic ducks. that somebody was going to shoot the ass off the ceramic ducks, and that's exactly what happened.
1: Foreshadowing, shadowing, man. This movie was chock full of it, but... It, it was. Tastefully done. tastefully done. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, cliche or whatever, but it's good. Nice use yeah. of cliche.
0: Yep. Yeah, it was a cheesy bit of uh, fluff. It was a fun way to waste an hour and a half.
1: Uh, besides, of, like, half a boo, Pretty family friendly. Yeah, it is.
0: I don't know. There's a lot of the
1: chauvinist, like, you know, language right. and shit, but, you know, it's, it's pretty good. I, don't, I like it.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Miss Miss John Ritter. Glad Jim Belushi's still doing weird stuff. Hell yeah. I keep on doing weird, Jim. And that was a fun movie. Fucking A. And I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah.